This is Linux in Laws, a podcast on topics around free and open source software, any associated contraband, communism, the revolution in general, and whatever else fancies your tickle. Please note that this and other episodes may contain strong language, offensive humor, and other certainly not politically correct language. You have been warned. Our parents insisted on this disclaimer. Happy mum! Thus, the content is not suitable for consumption in the workplace, especially when played back on a speaker in an open-plan office or similar environments. Any minors under the age of 35 or any pets, including fluffy little killer bunnies, your trusted guide dog, unless on speed, and cute T-Rexes or other associated dinosaurs. Welcome to Links in Laws, Season 1, Episode 87. Martin, how are things in the Empire? Or what used to be the Empire, anyway? Uh, it's good. Well, Empire, Empire. Um, did uh, you, yes, did you ever have... No, we didn't. No, 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 it's not an Empire. We didn't have an Emperor or an Empress. <laughs> completely mistaken. Okay, okay uh, sorry. Talking about Japan or something. Um, which... what, is, what is now known as Little Britain, which used to be Great Britain. Uh-huh. And of course, that's that's a reference to a very good TV series ages ago. Yeah, that's quite amusing. C- uh, can you recall this? Oh, it's going back a few years, isn't it? Oh, um, absolutely. Martin, and I thought I was old. Apparently I'm not. It's got to be oh, that's for 25 years, maybe, somewhere, if not more. Uh, early 2000s, late 90s, yes. Details may have up in the show notes, people. Mm. But it's ancient. It's a little bit on the cynical as in dark side. Yeah, I wonder and, how, uh, how this how this works with um, people who are not familiar with the UK. <laughs> um, uh, it, Martin, the it humor. Is, exactly, yeah. it won't. Okay. Right. Because okay. if you don't like um, mm. puns being taken at disabled people and so forth, people don't watch this. Seriously, don't. Mm. Because you might get offended very easily. And it's not for the faint heart, let's put it this way. <laughs> That's not that bad. Very much correctness like is, uh, yeah, not, 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 not present. <laughs> no, 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 no. Politi- uh, the political correctness would be on the opposite side of the yeah, uh, Exactly. Uh, uh, it doesn't, of course, reflect the... Oh, do, no, actually, it would be reflecting the UK government at the time, no? Maybe I'm wrong. UK government, if you're listening, <laughs> pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and sponsor us. Yeah. <laughs> Martin, glad that, that we're still on the explicit side of things, just in case, before the PC get, police yeah. gets to us. But mm. this is not about uh, politics or TV shows, where not, 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 which is not the main focus, but rather about mm. something. What are we talking about today, Martin? Open source hardware, if I'm not completely mistaken, right? Oh, is that the general? Yeah, okay. Um... As in, yeah, f- sorry, that was probably a little bit quick. So for the... Mm. Uh, slightly uh, impaired people, open source hardware. Mm. And of course, something called RISC-V comes to mind, and that would be the topic of today's episode. So if you are offended with open source hardware, this episode <laughs> is something you don't want to listen to, just in case, just to get this out of the way. Mm. Because this is all about sharing ideas and how to contribute to the overall movement in terms of It's probably fair to say that up to now, hardware has, mo- has been mostly proprietary. And risk and the project, as in RISC-V, is exactly trying to change this. Okay. 
in the true spirit of open source and free Libra and, and yeah. open source software. So, okay, interesting. So open source software, obviously, that is pretty straightforward, right? We have code that is available and so on and so on. Yes. What about, how does this work with hardware then? Before we go into that level of detail, oh. Martin, and we'll... Not and, that and detail. It's quite a <laughs> fundamental question, actually. And bore the people with uh, the ins with the inner details. We should probably talk about where actually this whole reduce instruction set notion comes from. The Risk Five project essentially is an example of the of the notion of what at its very core the open source movement. I'm almost tempted to say is all about leaving the software space and entering the hardware space. But as I said, details hmm. in a minute. Once we have covered the historical background, okay. What do you know about reduced instruction set computing? Well, they are um, uh, sort of uh, contrary to complex instruction sets. <laughs> Very good. Um, okay. And Let's as the name go. says, <laughs> Let's go back there is to a new set of instructions. But yeah, I think one of the main principles I remember was that it. Um, executes in one clock tick or something. That's that's one thing. Very good. Remember. Okay, let's go back to the 1700s and <laughs> let's cover an architecture called the. It's a very, very reduced <laughs> set of instructions. <laughs> <laughs> and let's cover something called the Babbage Analytical Machine. Martin, ah. Given the fact that you were around at the time, does that ring any bell? Yeah, it does. It does. It's quite famous. Um, so isn't so that tell, a... tell us all about it. Uh, well, it's it's uh, like a mechanical computer thingy. Yes. Well, um, which is uh, invented by by Babbage, right? That's where I got the name from. Uh, I don't remember very, much other details. But... Very, very much so. Yes. Um, and the way it worked, and Martin, this is spot on. Essentially, with every movement of this mechanical clockwork clockwork like thing, you actually did one operation, and that's exactly what you were referring to earlier mm. on. No, because, yes, makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's exactly how risk, as in reduced instructions at computers, work pretty much at at their very core. But okay, let's leave the Babbage realm and let's mm. actually go to go to the foundation of reduced instructions at computers that takes us back to the seventies. But given the fact that you were 70s. able, yes, that mm. you were able to drive a car. Early sixties. What can you remember about the seventies? <laughs> the seventies is flat trousers and uh, the BGs. Um, what else was in the? 70s? Keep going, keep going. You, I think you uh, met your, you Beatles. Met your, no, Beatles is more sixties, really, isn't it? You met yeah. your second wife in the seventies, no? Seventies? No, 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 no. Seventies. No, no, no. um, I was still in um, primary and secondary school, actually. You were able to marry them. That's interesting. Uh, with I don't expect so. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, mind you, they in the minimal ages, to be honest. Um, <laughs> Maybe it was, was different than the Netherlands. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Okay. Oh, the history um, stuff. Yes. yes. Okay. 70s. IBM. Now, IBM. Exactly. IBM built I've... everything really back then. Yeah. Yes. Uh, very much so. Funny enough, IBM released the, their primary mainframe architectures, which haven't changed that much on the surface since the 60s, I'm tempted to say, with the main difference, probably or with the main exception rather, 
that they did their first hypervisor in 1972 called VM, funny enough, as in virtual machines. Hmm. Good, but name, at, good name, yeah. Exactly. But at the time, <laughs> somebody in New York, where they were kind of headquartered, or Solara, I think, anyway, hmm. took a look, and that was kind of mid-70s, if not mistaken, took a look at typical uh, mainframe workloads. Hmm. You were talking at that stage about the 360s, 370s of the world as in kind of room-filling machines, very expensive. But Tapes. Okay. Yes, but with a 31-bit, I think, architecture. Uh, but the details, well, in the 70s. No. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, where they, where they, mainframes are still pretty much advanced um, regarding their specific point in time. But anyway, it doesn't matter. But the thing is okay. that they had this idea of building a telephone switch in the 70s that would be able to handle details, may or may not be in the show notes, about 300,000 calls per second. Don't quote me on the numbers. Magnet orders from magnitude bar might be different. But the bottom line is actually that when they analyzed the current architecture, as in 370, I think it was at the time, or 360, they mm. came up with the with the with the notion that this could only handle a fraction of the calls required. So they took a look at That's probably because they weren't running Erlang, wasn't it? Really? Mm. They probably yeah. ran. They probably ran some sort of COBOL on, on, on these machines. Yeah. Anyway, no. And the the idea was basically to to accelerate the mainframes to that level uh-huh. that they would able to, that they would be able to to build that switch. But in order to do that, they would have to reduce the current the, the then current CISC as in complex instruction set computers. Uh, sorry, mm-hmm. complex instruction set computer, which was the 370, 360 of the time. So what the people at IBM did is they took a look at what the workload actually consists of that is executed by the typical mainframe CPU at the time. Hmm. And they came up with the conclusion that that only about 10% of the overall instruction set was used in terms of the compiler writing people only took advantage of about 10% of the overall CPU instructions at the disposal. Mm. So the idea was, why not make a complex machine less complex in terms of put more power to the hardware? Because essentially what this complex instruction set computers did, the first time when you booted them up, they load something called a microcode interpreter. This microcode told the central central processing unit how to interpret how to interpret single CPU instructions. So it's essentially taking CPU instructions from a CISC architecture and then executing them in a couple of internal steps. And the idea that the people had in order to accelerate these mainframe computers was actually hardwire these internal instructions in terms of in hardware and do away with the microcode because that adds another layer of complexity that slows down the machine. Hence, the project 801 was born. Fortunately, unfortunately, whatever you recall it, this switch idea was cancelled as in the corresponding project was cancelled. But IBM maintained the project name ROMP for this. 
and any subsequent risk architecture in terms of the RTPC, the 6150, and subsequently the P series still go back to that particular CPU architecture as in reduced instruction set. Anybody listening from RBM, if you want to know more, if you want to hear more <laughs> RBM acronyms might be mentioned on Even the show. Even more. Exactly. <laughs> yes. the, e- the, the email address is sponsor at Linux. Yeah. Just in Excellent. case. Exactly. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and to continue this story, mm. when, the BB- when your beloved BBC Martin um, was looking for a home computer architecture oh. in the kind of mid-80s, yes. they turned mm. to a company called Archon Risk Machines. Yes. Exactly. Archon Risk Machines at the time, I don't think, had something suitable. So they took a look at what was out there at the time. They took a look at... Exactly. They took a look at um, 6502. They took a look at 6809, all the rest of them but came up with the conclusion that this was something that they couldn't use and they did their own thing. So they produced an initial design of something called an ARM processor. Mm. And as we all know, the rest is pretty much history. Because well, everything ARM... is history, really. That's how exactly. it works. <laughs> with with <Where's> time. <laughs> yes, where's what a month? So yeah. at some stage, they decided, okay, a home computer is great, but we can do more. So... At some stage, they decided that selling designs in, 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 in contrast to making actual CPUs is much more lucrative. So the idea, and that was kind of late 80s, early 90s, maybe mid 90s, was to come up with designs for CPUs that were lightly fast and had a very low power consumption. That's, some, that's exactly something you need if you want to build a tablet or if you want to build the hardware foundation for a tablet or a mobile phone. Hence the notion that about, I'm tempted to say 99.5% of all mobile phones run ARM architectures as an ARM CPUs or, the, or CPUs hardware that is based on ARM SOCs. Hence this craze about the stock market price of ARM shares and all the rest of it, because that company has been really going through the roof. Never mind. I think they, they were quite a couple of years back, or there was discussion about them being quite yeah, a couple yeah, of years that back. Was, that didn't go ahead. Um, yeah. de- Details may have not been the show notes, but was, anyway. Uh, I think NVIDIA tried to buy them, but that wasn't yes. allowed. <clears throat> Suffice it to say, they still make money and quite a lot of it. And other risk architectures are still around. MIPS probably being the most prominent example in the router space. Okay. Um, MIPS, of course, going back to the original BSD project, as in the, uh, in the sorry, not BSD, but rather University of California at Berkeley, because they came up with a corresponding CPU design called MIPS, as in MIPS. That is, he- that is heavily used in routers, for example, all over the place as in now. So if you take a look at any... Martin, what's your... No, no Martin, don't name your favorite router producer. Details will be in the show notes. But if you take... us. <laughs> it... No, they're not. Uh, but if, if, you take a li- if you take a look at the router market, about uh, I reckon my guess would be 70, 60 to 70% of all routers on the planet run MIPS, run MIPS CPUs, as in uh, use MIPS CPUs. So it's, it's a reduced instruction set that is 
very much aimed, similar to ARM, at SOCs, as in embedded systems, as in systems okay. ownership that have to, that have typically built in one or two NRC uh, NRCs, as in network interface chips plus a Wi-Fi SOC. That makes that makes them ideal for any type of network gear. A Theros probably comes to mind with regards to the networking SOC that many, 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 many routers use. But what okay. does that have? But what does that have to do with open with open source hardware? Well, you missed you missed one out, right? This is where where I actually know it from, which is um, uh, Spark. Isn't that a risk architecture as well? Yes, Martin. So, what do we know about Spark? It was great. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, stuff that was kind of rock solid and super fast uh, yes. compared to your um, yeah your average x eighty six hardware at the time. So, what um, what does Spark go, what does Spark go back to? Hmm? What does Spark go back to? Eighty. Yes. As, where does it come from? From Sun? Yes. <laughs> What's the question? <laughs> Very good. Who, in, who invented Spark? I uh, don't know. I just used it. Who's who's one of the founders of oh, a company yes. called Sanford University? Yes, no, hang on. I, I'm, 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 who was this? Who Hint, was it's this? a German. <laughs> no, 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 yes. no, 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 no. No, it was it's a California. Um, yes, but it's still a German who invented Spark. He comes company, from Germany. Not the company. No, he, he he actually comes from Bavaria, and he's still around. Yes, yeah. and and Google used to owe him a hundred grand, yeah. which after floating turned into a couple of trillion, I suppose. You don't know the story. Okay, no. he's a he's a little bit of oh, Andy Bechtel's home. Yes, yes smart, very good. <laughs> And von Bechtelsheim, actually, yes, did a PhD thesis on how to produce power-saving risk architectures. Hmm. And that was subsequently per- turned into a company called Sun, Stanford University Network. Because the idea at the time was actually to produce hardware that would be ideal for running distributed algorithms, as in turn the network into the computer. But you're looking at early 80s, late 70s, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Well, it was still very much around in the nineties uh, and two thousands, and then they kind of vanished. Uh, well, not it went into a decline. Yes, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, nothing to do I with think... the Oracle acquisition. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think Fujitsu, Fujitsu sold his last Spark-based mainframe. What twenty eighteen? I don't go up on the on the exact year, but Spark's dead. Let's put it this way. There's no more hardware, probably just for maintenance reasons. But at the end of the day, it's just legacy. Well, it's a shame, by the way. I came across a customer the other day who was running some Spark machines still. So that was interesting. Uh, Okay. Probably running Solaris, right? Uh, No, no. They were running. Yeah, actually, no. Yes, they were running Solaris. But um, no, but what's funny was even even they had like. And stuff, yeah. So, sorry, they were running what? I didn't. No, they that. were running. They were running a Linux on it. Yeah. Linux. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the, that's possible too. Although I reckon these. I mean, uh, that machine was what thirty years old. I don't know. I didn't like, ask. But it was 20, still running. Okay. I had okay. quite a few of them. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Doing probably some sort of core banking system that cannot be touched for legal reasons or all the rest of it. 
if I'm wrong. Well, I mean, yeah, it was still functional hardware, so they used it for lots of okay. testing and development. Uh, Interesting. Activities. And they were running Linux on it. Wow. Okay. I think uh, Spark was the second or third uh, risk inst- risk based architecture that entered the kernel back in the late back in the nineties mm. when Linux was still young. But this is ancient lore. Uh, yeah. Okay. Anyway. Back to the exactly back to the issue at hand. Risk of five. Yeah, and- Exactly. Yes, Risk Five. So, um, are they the first to open up their architecture? A couple of companies and uh, details will be in the show notes in terms of link to the project homepage. A couple of mm. companies had this grand vision of, okay, we have been doing very much proprietary architecture up to up to now, but everybody will benefit if we, for a change, do an do an architecture that's open source. Mm. Needless to say, as with any open source project, the idea was actually that many people contribute, as in you have many eyeballs watching this. So yep. make a mistake, that mistake can be easily corrected because, as I said, many pairs of eyeballs are taking a very close look. Hmm. Because of the, let's put it this way, founders or founding companies of the project, and quite a few universities were playing part in this too, Berkeley probably being the most prominent one. If you take a close look at the so-called instructor set architecture, the RSA, it's not too far away from MIPS. And given the fact that MIPS originated from a Berkeley research project, Back in the fifties, I'm tempted to say, which of course historically totally wrong. No, it's, it's, it was much later anyway. But the overall idea of a reduced instruction computer was something that Berkeley heavily contributed to, and so the notion of taking portions of the overall design from the MIPS architecture and putting this into a freely available ISA was not too far off. And that's exactly what the Risk of Fire project did. Martin is, as usual, speechless. No I, thought there was, I thought there was more, but maybe... No, 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 no. <laughs> okay. Right. Yeah, well, clearly it's a... Uh, let's say... A sensible idea, similar to open sourcing software. Why not open source your hardware designs? Absolutely. The trouble is, of course, that if you take a close look at the specification, and the details will be in the show notes, people, and word of advice, if you cannot get to sleep at night, the hardware specification of the Risk Five of the Risk Five architecture is something really that will help to get you to that sleep that uh-huh. you have been so longing for, because I'm almost going to say it's somewhat convoluted. It starts with the main differentiation of a threefold overall high-level separation. There is a user instruction set in terms of a set of instructions that you can run in user space. Hmm. The usual adding, multiply, sorry, adding, subtracting, and comparing stuff. Then you have something called the system space, 
as an instructions that will allow you to fork a thread, uh, has privilege instructions, all the rest of it. And then you have a third space called the machine. I think it's called the machine instruction set that is typically aimed at hypervisors. And if memory serves correct, RISC-V, as in RISC-V, is the only architecture that had this from reward go. All the other instruction sets basically evolved over time, like the x86s, like the arms of the world, and tacked this on as they went along. But I reckon, and this is, I think, and this is just my personal opinion, this uh, threefold separation is something that where you can clearly actually see the, the handwriting of academia on this. Plus the fact that the core only defines a very minimal set of instructions. If you, for example, want to do floating-point arithmetic, whether it's single position, double position, and all the rest of it, you have to go for something called extensions. Okay. And if you take a close look at how RISC-V architectures are named, and for example, the Wikipedia page is very educational on this, these names of the architectures have, on a good day, at least 10 letters and digits. On a bad day, you're probably looking at 32 or 65, 64 letters and digits, because what they do is they encode the word length, the number of extensions, whether you're looking at machine system or user space architectures and all the rest of it. And the documentation is likewise. Needless to say, that's exactly what you wanna what you need if you wanna sit down and take Verilog or some other tooling to do your first risk V risk five based SOC. Because it's all specified. And you actually this is also reflected in the governing architecture of the project. We have about Two trillion, four billion, five million, three hundred forty-seven point eight subcommittees in charge of defining floating point arithmetic system traps, exceptions, and all the rest of it. I'm joking. It's actually That's too like less. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> no, I mean. The website is pretty is pretty educational because I think I stopped counting at about thirty or thirty two subcommittees in terms of taking a look at very specific subsections of the architecture and how it's specified. So this is a CPU not by not done done by not done by a, a company, but rather by a committee. Now the thing is basically if you take a look at the adoption rate, which that is quite surprising, because you have all the user suspects on the homepage sponsoring the bloody effort. And it starts with Google, Intel and the usual, but it mm. doesn't stop with cloud providers, hyperscalers and all the rest of them. And sometimes some totally unknown companies that are simply participating in the effort. Okay. Fair enough. Um, well, I mean, it makes sense really for um, those companies to be involved so they know what's uh, 
what's happening from a competitive point of view as well, right? Foreign Intel wasn't there. That, so. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, But you see, the beauty is that this is all open source licensed. So in contrast to, and I'm just naming one example, to ARM, as in what goes back to a company called Arcorus Machines, where if you want to build an ARM-based SOC, as in a system on a chip that is based on an ARM design, you have to pay them blood license fees. With the op- with the RISC-V thing, you just clone the GitHub repo, I'm tempted to say, or you take a look at the specification, then build the SOC, as in taking the specification, and coming up with a Verilog or V, what's it called Verilog hardware design language, as in VHDL specification that you can simply pour into a fab, as in something that produces CPUs, and then basically you have your CPU uh, and you have also the corresponding SOC architecture. So no license free quad because it's essentially open source. That's what so see. If, if well, it's, it's quite to... useful, uh, yeah, if you ever want to, um, as a small company, build some processors, then you can do this right with. You just have to find a fab, as in somebody who is able to produce the, mm. the silicon for you. And now the beauty is you don't have to go hunting for your couple of trillions of venture capital because of the license fee requires, required for, for companies like ARM and all the rest of them, you can simply kind of take a, take the, the SOC designs, pour it into a fab, uh, and then run with it. Mm. And this is what quite a few companies already have done, mostly in the embedded space. And this and th- I reckon this is something where this this design by committee approach really shines because you can really customize the you you, you, you can, you can really customize the hell out of it. You can, I mean, it's it's basically like a buffet. You choose your instruction set. As a type of instruction set, you 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 choose your work length. You choose the number of instructions. Uh, what I was, what I think apparently isn't out there is actually the VHDL step. As in, you have the specification, but. I have not found something like a VHDL generator where you can actually take your design and put it into, v- in, into a VHDL as in something that a fab would be able to understand in order to produce silicon. I reckon if you become a member of RISC-V, then that process might be available to you. I do not know. Uh, well, it sounds like you got your next venture lined up. Yes. So, people, um, if if you are tired of going, 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 Chris is going to build you some new ones. <laughs> so, if you're tired of ARM architectures in your in your smartphone, uh, please send mails to <laughs> how to replace ARM at linuxinlaws.eu. I'm, if there are enough mails coming through, I might be tempted to create a Patreon or what's called these. Uh, there's another service. It's called not Patreon. It's called another crowdfunding thing. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I'm tempted enough to put a crowdfunding campaign into place and to beat the hell out of Intel, uh, ARM, and all the rest of them. Excellent. I mean, 
open source all about change, right? So let's gather up these few trillion dollars that are required <laughs> to teach the likes of Intel Arma lesson or two. <laughs> indeed, indeed. But jokes aside, people, although it's somewhat esoterical, fair enough, but this project really has the potential to, I wouldn't say replace ARM or the likes of Intel or the likes of, of uh, AMD or whatever, because it's just too nascent at the moment, but they have captured a good deal of market share, especially embed in the embedded space already. And the more people, and needless to say, the more people contribute to the overall effort, the more pervasive, I reckon, is the word I'm looking for, it will get at the end of the day. Because this is how Linux and all the rest of them started, essentially. Mm. Yeah. Uh, how long has this been around in this? Um, uh, 200 trillion, 5 billion, 7 million, 453,047.5 nanoseconds. Ah. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> Details will be on the, in the show notes. No, I reckon about 10 years make that 15 or something. Hmm. You want to take a few? Well, it's just many, uh, how many people are actually doing this right now, right? Um... Picking, it's picking up momentum. Hmm. Because more and more people are contributing, more and more people are taking are picking this up in terms of not people but companies with the with the with the DAO at their disposal in terms of money that are actually I wouldn't say dis- are disrupting the marketplace. But you see, funny enough, if you take a look at the website, all of the major CPU manufacturers are on there as sponsors. Yeah, yeah, makes sense, right? So I reckon they what did they don't want to they simply don't want to miss the train i suppose at the end of the day yeah sensible but, anyway. any final thoughts before this wrap before we wrap this up mr Bisher? final thoughts yeah so what do you reckon this will look like in 10 years time after you launched your successful company <laughs> <laughs> Good question. I mean, it's it's probably fair to say that medium to long term, they will preempt MIPS in the router space, as in the embedded hardware space. And given the fact that quite a single, that quite a few single board computers are already using this, and links will be in the show notes, people, Hmm. it's probably fair to say that I wouldn't say the the days of something called the Raspberry Pi, Pi are counted. But it wouldn't surprise me if they, by the end of this decade, they would have garnered a fair market share in the single board computing space. As in the likes of the, uh, what are they called? Banana pies, raspberry pies, and all the rest of them. Because mm. it, it starts essentially there. And before you know it, the hyperscalers will, pick, will have picked this up. I mean, all of I mean, all of the I'm almost tempted to say all of the major operating systems do support Risk Five already. You're looking at the likes of FreeBSD, Linux. Okay. Um, I think even Microsoft did an experimental part of Windows to this as in Windows. I think what's it called? There's a special 
there used to be a special version that was able to run on, on Pies or is able to or is, mm. is able to run ARM architectures. I think they simply took this and tried an experimental port to risk to risk five. And even you can you can even run plan nine on the whole damn thing. Given the corresponding configuration of an SOC. Details on the Risk Five website. Check it out. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, uh, clearly all this stuff is going in cycles as well, right? We had the um, the X eighty six's popularity, which is still kind of there, but still, if you know, Apple's making their own chips, um, uh, AWS is doing some ARM stuff as well. It's um, there will be another, yeah. Um, it's not as as given anymore. Everybody's going to be using x86, put it that way. So no, there may be some developments in this area as well, right? It's it's you no. Know, it's interesting that I mean the whole world, at least underneath the hood, is running risk architectures. Intel made the switch, I think, about twenty years ago, with one of the last Pentiums, where they actually put a risk core. Underneath, underneath, Ooh, underneath wow. a CIC <laughs> shell. Exactly. You had the PowerPC architecture run for ages. I'm not going to talk about ARM because the success of ARM in the, especially in the embedded space is quite mm. heard of in terms of undisputable. And more and more companies are moving over or have already moved over to this space. I reckon there's only, there are only a few architectures out there that are still pure complex instructions at computers because when IBM made this move to the P-series and the PowerPC, mm. they started with the mainframes and you're looking at about... Not a huge success for really, was it, the PowerPC? <laughs> well, you see, if you take a look at the mainframe architectures that have been setting for the last 20, 25 years, internally, they all run risk architectures as in risk cores. Mm. They yeah, just but look how, like yeah. Yeah, architectures okay. that have been run for the last fifty years underneath the hood. It's still ri- mm. it's all risk. But yeah, let's see how many. Um, what what uh, what will happen in the let's say the the user device landscape? Yes, not not obviously I've, not mobiles, but yeah. Um, yeah, I, I've yet to see the first mobile phone using Risk. People, if you if you own a device, hmm. if you own a smartphone that is based on Risk Five, please send mail to feedback at linuxinlaws.eu because we would really like to hear about this. Yeah, and interesting. interesting. Yes, and with that, I reckon we are almost near the boxes, right? Almost near the boxes. <laughs> so do tell, do tell. Do tell. So exactly, Mark. What, what's it. happening before the post? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we don't have any feedback, sadly enough. So I don't oh, know we, are you sure? Um, uh, is there any feedback? I remember something, you know. Why don't you do your pox? I'll look it up. Uh, um, Martin, you're not supposed to, to, to do spoilers now because, yes, there was feedback, but we can't really talk about it because it's about an upcoming know? episode, so we cannot tease this. But what we can tease... Uh, yeah, no, course, no, no, not that one, not that one. Um, uh, but, but, of course, what we can tease, Martin, is my upcoming presentation. Oh, which, yes. which, are you doing a presentation? I'm always doing presentations, Martin. 
Is it about Redditch? <laughs> no, it's not. Funny but you don't work there anymore. Okay. <laughs> no. Okay, people. Uh, it's really weird, but uh, this episode will come out end of June. If you were at OpenSUSECon late May, or and if you were yeah. exactly. <laughs> Well, no, Martin, there were about 200... Uh, no, it, was, it was in Germany, wasn't it? Right? So it was in Germany, but there yeah. were about 200 people anyway. Okay. And about, I reckon, 30, 40 of them were actually at my Kamenitis presentation. Uh-huh. If you happen to be one of them, you already <laughs> saw the teaser where I actually booted up a Kamenitis cluster on a mobile phone. So I have Kamenitis up and running, exactly, on a smartphone. <laughs> If you find your way to two, what, what do you actually run on? <laughs> or is it no, just given as it's No, 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 no. It's no, no. Okay. I ran it on an Android thirteen on an. No, 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 no. What are you, what are you running on Kubernetes? What am I running on Kubernetes? It's, yes. it's, 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 it's a yeah. It's a tool called kubectl. <laughs> <laughs> no, Martin. Is that the only thing that would run? With? No, I just got this up and running just before the conference. So it's a, it's, it's still very much WIP as a work in progress. Huh. But the idea is I, what, what I did talk about at OpenSUSECon was you actually... don't want to carry around any more laptops, I think. I guess exactly. <laughs> no, what I, what, what I demoed actually before I booted up the Kubernetes cluster on that mobile phone was actually how you run a small web server on your ordinary Kubernetes cluster in terms of what's the, what does the code base look like? How do you pack it and all the rest of it? How do you package it and all the rest of it? I hope it's in Rust as well. No, just in Go. <laughs> no, <laughs> just, just in Go for a change. <laughs> so, and I will be talking about how you set this up at Tubix because the presentation or the or the proposal for that presentation has already been accepted. And if you happen to be in southern Germany. On the four on the first of July, which is about, anywhere specific think, in three, southern Germany, in, yeah, in Tübingen, because that's of course what okay. Tübingen refers to. The whole thing takes place on the first of July in Tübingen. It's a community event, so you 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 just show up, you just bring a cake with you. Yeah, cake. Are you man about? Are you man the barbecue? Are you man the, the 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 coffee place for a couple of hours? Because it's it's probably the most community based event in Germany that I've that I've come across so far. As in limited amount of sponsors, it's all about everybody gives a hand, which is wow, really up my alley. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Okay, so uh, this podcast comes out, comes out on the twenty seventh of June. Tubics does take place on the first of July in Tubing. Um, I don't think you have you even have to register. Just show up on the on the on the day in Tubing. The link will be in the show notes. So if you have and if you have nothing better to do, I will be presenting that presentation on Saturday afternoon. So if you want to know how to set Kubernetes up on your smartphone, you don't want to miss this. Don't. Exactly. And with that, over to the real proxies. So Martin, what's okay. the As in pick of the week. Yeah, the box of the week. Pick of the week. Uh, of the week. Yeah, okay. Um, Fortnite, whatever. Well, it's got to be a Fortnite, isn't it? Yes. Um, well, the, my you can make it two years. It doesn't make a difference. Just what you find <laughs> worth mentioning. 
Um, what I find worth mentioning is a movie called American Sniper, uh, which I rewatched after seeing it some time ago, and still as good as it was back then. So, care to tell the audience what this is all about? Uh, it's well, it's it's about the uh, a guy who. Um, after nine eleven, decides he wants to do some. He has some some strong beliefs about <laughs> uh, protecting America. Let's put it that way. But then he finds out that actually, yeah, shooting people is not that fun after all. Um, it's one of these religious movies. It's more. No, no, no. It's, it's just more of a. Let's say. Uh, yeah. Um, it's it's not an action movie. It's more like a let's say psychological. Um, ah, okay. Drama type scenario where, yeah, how do you deal so with it? On your that kind on of your, stuff. Okay, mm. so on your scale, in terms of if you can't get to sleep, you want to watch this movie. Is it like more like a one? It's definitely not a going to sleep movie for no, not for me. Ah, no. okay. <laughs> it's more, Fair more the opposite. It's very gripping story. So it's it's more like a one, as in if you can't get to sleep, you don't want to watch this. In terms of a nine, yes, if you can't, indeed, you can't indeed. the opposite, sleep, yes, yes, you yes. really want to watch this, like a headman's sale or something like this. Mm. Mm. <laughs> uh, sorry, people, if you haven't watched this, if you really can't get to sleep, this is the TV series you want to watch. It's a movie, actually, but yeah. I thought it was a TV series. Okay, well, I know. maybe I'm wrong. But, uh, no, I watched it's, it's quite a few years old, actually. It's um... yes. But the thing is, basically, mm. if you if you watch this for half an hour, it doesn't matter if it's TV series or movie, you will fall asleep, no matter what. As well, in, you're, you're pops of the week. Oh. We're just getting there in a moment, Martin. Oh, okay. I thought you, know you were I mean? talking about your pops. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm confused. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> what are you talking about Ma- now? Full disclosure, Martin is easily confused. No, I mean, if there's something that can help you with falling asleep, ah. you want to watch... The Handmaid's Tale. Probably not listening anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, if you think our podcast is putting you to sleep, <laughs> but that will take probably half an hour. Handmaid's uh-huh. Tale, the Handmaid's Tale, will do the job yeah. in about ten minutes. Okay. <laughs> Never oh. mind if the neighbors are having arguments, <laughs> if the if the fire brigade is doing a training outside your your front mm. door. It doesn't matter. You okay. will fall asleep more or less, and more or less immediately. Hmm. So, no meditation required. Just watch this. Okay. Um, if I'm so inclined, I've never, I've never, notes. I've never watched it. <laughs> but then you fall asleep it's, easily, anyway. It's some so. kind of series, <laughs> isn't it? Uh, you said it was a movie. I thought you talked about The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah, exactly. I, th- I think it's a TV series. Yeah, it's a TV series. Yeah, exactly. And you don't watch the, and you don't have to watch the the first series because you will fall asleep after about thirty minutes of the first episode. Right. Guaranteed. Well, it takes a lot of time for sure. Yeah. <laughs> If not, if not within the first ten minutes, guaranteed. Okay. Anyway, okay. Now back to much more serious issues. My box of the week is a movie called Red Race or oh, the Red Race. Details can oh, uh, be the show notes. Red, red or Rat? Rat Race. Ah, okay. Yes, as in the threat mill. Um, well, the rats are small animals. That... Yeah, exactly. It's ancient. It's about known what, for 20... carrying the plague, well, the fleas. Yeah. But yeah, anyway. <laughs> Uh, it's yeah, about twenty. <laughs> it's about twenty years old. Um, twenty Mr. years old. Yes, Mister Cleese plays a very important role in this, of Monty Python fame, of course. 
I won't give away too uh, much. But yes, it's about. Yeah. It, it's Where about did you find this? Uh, I can't disclose that, I'm afraid. <laughs> Oh, it was recommended by somebody that I know very closely. Let's put it this way: it's in recommendation. Okay. Anyway, oh, you've not seen it before. Uh, if I have, no, I probably have one. forgotten about it. Doesn't matter. Anyway, it doesn't. Okay. Multiple rat races. Yes. Uh, yeah. uh, no, I mean it's the one with John. With with I think his name is John Cleese. I'm completely mistaken. I might John be wrong. Cleese, yeah. Mr. Cleese yeah, yeah, is a very important yeah, part yeah. of it. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It's mm. about a competition, and it. Yeah, uh, Rowan Atkinson is on as well. Okay. Yes, and saying that this is very funny is really understating the whole fact. So if you are, if you just love humorous movies, that's the one you don't want to miss. Mm. As I said, in ancient details within the show notes. And with that, Martin, I think we have reached the end of the episode. Okay. I need to find out where is watchable. I haven't seen it for years. Uh, maybe Netflix, maybe... What's it called? Netflix. What's it called? Oldmovies.com, no? <laughs> is that such a thing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just um... making this up as I go along. I don't know. No jokes hmm. aside. Uh, maybe Amazon has it in its legacy movie uh, section. I do not know. Hmm. Anyway. People... I hope you have enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we had recording this. Thank you for listening and see you on the other side. This is the Linux in-laws. You come for the knowledge. But stay for the madness. Thank Thank you you for for listening. listening. This podcast is licensed under the latest version of the Creative Commons license type attribution share alike. Credits for the intro music go to Blue Sea Roosters for the song Salad Margaret, to Twin Flames for their piece called The Flow used for the segment intros, and finally to Celestial Ground for their song Sweet Justice used by the Dark Side. you find these and other ditties licensed under CC at Chimando, a website dedicated to liberate the music industry from choking copyright legislation and other crap concepts. Thank <laughs> you.